My friends, our Bible reading for today is Leviticus, chapters 8 to 10. So you can find it on page 108 in your church Bibles. Leviticus, chapters 8 to 10. I am proposed to read you a selection, so we won't read all three chapters word for word. But the selection is printed on your service sheet. There's also a New Testament reading, but we'll, uh, we'll come to that towards the end of the sermon. So Leviticus chapter 8, starting at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron and his sons, their garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams and the basket containing bread made without yeast, and gather the entire assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the assembly gathered at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses said to the assembly, this is what the Lord has commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash round him, clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him. He also fastened the ephod with a decorative waistband which he tied round him. He placed the breastpiece on him and put the urim and thummim in the breastpiece. Then he placed the turban on Aaron's head and set the gold plate, the sacred emblem, on the front of it as the Lord commanded Moses. We skip across to chapter 8, verse 36. So Aaron and his sons did everything the Lord commanded through Moses. On the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. He said to Aaron, Take a bull calf for your sin offering and a ram for your burnt offering, both without defect, and present them before the Lord. Then say to the Israelites, take a male goat for a sin offering, a calf and a lamb, both a year old, without defect, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for a fellowship offering to sacrifice before the Lord, together with a grain offering mixed with olive oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. They took the things Moses commanded to the front of the tent of meeting, and the entire assembly came near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded you to do, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Chapter eight, verse sorry, chapter nine, verse twenty-two. Then Aaron lifted his hands towards the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering, he stepped down. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out. They blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them and added incense and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. 
Moses summoned Mishael and Elzaphan, sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and said to them, come here, carry your cousins outside the camp, away from the front of the sanctuary. So they came and carried them, still in their tunics, outside the camp, as Moses ordered. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And Lord God, if this is your word, would you speak to us, we pray, each one of us, pray for the blessing of the Holy Spirit as we have this moment to to look at the Bible. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. How can ordinary people approach God? And when you stop to think about it, that is a mind-boggling, earth-shattering, life-defining question, isn't it? God, you know, God who made everything, who created a, a universe, and then me and you, uh, just little specks of molecules on planet Earth. How can we possibly? Uh, how, how do we even speak the same language? I mean, there's a few problems that occur to me straight away. God is invisible, so how do you know when you've approached God? God is everywhere, so where do you go to approach God? There's lots of ideas about God in the world, so who is God? And is it safe? I mean, it feels in Leviticus so far like it's not a very safe idea to approach God however you want. So there's a few issues to start with, but I tell you what, when I, when I meet people, especially when we go door knocking like Brian was talking about being passionate about, I meet many more people who say they're spiritual than say they're atheist. People have this sense of the, the, the spiritual in life. They, they believe they're not just like a meat skeleton, a body that happens to be on this rock. But they have this sense that actually they are made for something. So if that's the case, it seems like a, a very good clue as to what we're made for. What do you do with it? It's, it's, it's very vague on its own, but it's going somewhere, isn't it? So how can we funnel that down? How do I approach God? Well, Leviticus chapters 8 to 10, which are all about priests, uh, uh, where that answer, that, that question gets answered. And that's why we're going to try and do it together today. So three chapters, I know it's a lot, but it, it all hangs together because it wants to talk about priests. We're looking at Leviticus in June and July, and as, as stories go, have you ever found, have you found this so far? It's a bit like a foreign country. I mean, like it literally happened in a foreign country. It was in a desert. It's all about ancient sacrifices and priests and altars. But we've been seeing it's it's upstream of Christianity and the river flows all the way down to Christ and to the church and to the things that we might be familiar with. So for that reason, it's, it's worth us knowing about what fed that stream. And it's very much concerned today with the idea of how, how a human being can approach God. Is, there is really the crucial moment in Leviticus today. I mean, there are, there are only two little narrative bits in Leviticus, chapter 10, chapter 24. The rest is law. Um, so it's just law after law after law. But there's two bits when they just break out into story, and chapter 10 is, is one of them today. And basically, it's going really well in Leviticus until you get to chapter 10 and this story. Um, vividly, I remember when I was a kid, uh, my best mate lived next door. Uh, we were both mad keen on football, and he was a Man United fan. And he got to go and see Man United one day uh, playing Coventry City, I remember, because that's the kind of thing you remember when you're a kid. And uh, I, was, I was pretty jealous, even though I didn't support his team. Uh, and he went off to see this much-anticipated match at the Theatre of Dreams, Man United. And, um, 
The match starts, everyone's very excited, what, 40,000 people all cheering on. I mean, literally used to sing glory, glory, Man United in those days because they were just winning everything. So it was a great time to watch this team. And about nine minutes into the game, there's a dreadful injury on the pitch and a defender called Dave Boost, who played for Coventry City, broke his leg. He broke uh, his tibia and his fibula with a compound fracture, which meant uh, that the bone was sticking through the skin and uh, I shudder to think about it. But there were 40,000 people suddenly, oh, we didn't come for this. No, we didn't want, we didn't want to sit and watch this. We came for the match and, and, and the glory and the footy. But now we're watching a horrible injury and so everyone has to wait while the ambulance and the medical team show up. But it's a bit like that today. Oh, we, we came for the glory. We came for the glory of the Lord. And we, this is supposed to be a great day. And, oh, no. and suddenly in chapter 10, as we'll see, it, it goes very wrong. But even that has something to, to tell us. There's a desperately clear warning in all of this for us, which is that if, if you want to draw near to God, you need a priest, right? You need a priest. You absolutely do. Each one of you, you need a priest if you're going to draw near to God. I absolutely have to impress it upon you. Today. You have to have a priest. I'm not talking about me. I'm not talking about any clergy person. But I, I'm going to try and show you, you need a priest and a silent ringtone. Uh, but you, you, have to, you have to have a priest. And so we're going to look at it in, um, in two bits. Aaron and his sons were priests. Jesus is the greater priest. And then there's a surprise at the end. Okay? Aaron and his sons, they were priests. Jesus is the greater priest. And then a surprise. It's on your sermon sheet. So if you, do, if you want to follow with your eyes, then um, it's written out there for you. Chapter 8, verse 1. Listen to this. Aaron and his sons were priests. So the Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron and his sons their garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams and the baskets containing bread made without yeast, and gather the entire assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So this is building up to our big match, right? Our big moment, because God is saying, Aaron, you and your boys, come over here. And if you know the story of the Bible, it's been Moses up until this point. So Moses was the guy in Egypt with the staff. Moses was the guy going through the Red Sea. Moses was the guy who really got to deal with, with Pharaoh. Aaron's been there all along, but this is very significant because God is saying, I want Aaron, I want his sons, because you guys are going to be priests before me. To be a priest, if I can condense it as much as possible for you, is to be a mediator. So I'd put a blank on your sheet if, you, if it would help you to fill it in. To be a priest, to be a mediator. You're a, you're a go-between between God up there and human beings down here. So twice in my life I wrote to Queen Elizabeth, as I've, I've mentioned to you before because I'm very proud of it. And, uh, and twice I got a reply, but I didn't get a reply from Elizabeth herself. I got replies from the, the ladies-in-waiting. And they're, they're like a, a go-between. My letter He's not worthy to go straight into Queen Elizabeth's hands. I do not get her signature on my letter, but I do get a reply from a lady-in-waiting who's read it and dealt with it for the Queen. So something like that going on here. You know, there's God who is ruler of the universe, so important, and he's inviting communication, uh, approach, but through a, a designated mediator, a priest. Let's, let me just walk you through the three chapters so you know what's happened, and then we'll see how this works. Aaron and his sons were priests. Chapter 8 the priests get consecrated. As we've seen, they, they, they came forward, they had these special clothes, a tunic, a sash, a robe, an ephod, that's like a, a thing on their chest, a waistband, a breastpiece, a, a turban, and a gold plate on the front. 
Can you imagine these guys? That, so they're in the desert. They've just been slaves. So nobody's, nobody's really got anything much. They're stinky. They're dirty. They live in tents every day in the hot weather. But then <gasps> there's this magnificently dressed priest in front of them. He would have looked a bit like a god, which is getting to the point, isn't it? He's the go-between between God and, and them. They get anointed with oil. That's like the superabundant blessing of God, chapter 8. And they make sin offerings for themselves, which is very significant because Aaron, he was a screw-up. So he famously, Exodus chapter 32, he'd, he'd presided over a massive moral failure when Moses was getting the Ten Commandments and Aaron supervised the building of a statue of a cow. And he said, hey guys, let's make this golden thing and everyone bow down to that. So amazing, amazing that Aaron gets made the high priest. Is that, is that not the grace of God? He, he, like, I do, I do love you. I do want you to approach me. You can be the high priest. You've got to bring a sin offering. Don't think that I, I'm fooled. They're consecrated, as it says in verse 30, chapter 8, verse 30. Consecrated means set apart as holy. So from now on, priests, your, your purpose is different. You've got a different job in life. And then at the end of chapter 8, they have to stay there for a week. They just, the priests, they just stay in the tabernacle near the entrance. They just depend on God for food for a week. Very much like creation, actually. So that's chapter 8, priests get consecrated. Chapter 9, that's the first day of the sacrifices. Okay, so this is, this is kind of the big moment where it's still going really well. It's a bit like the beginning of my friend's premiership match. Wow, we're finally here. Uh, verse 4, chapter 9, verse 4. Today the Lord will appear to you. I, mean, I wonder how you would have felt. It's not just appear to Moses. It's not just appear to Aaron and his sons. It's appear to you. You, ordinary Israelite. I mean... You get the butterflies, you get the sense something big is about to happen. You've been homeless, you're an ex-slave, and yet the Lord is about to appear to you. Verse 5, they took the things Moses commanded to the front of the tent of meeting, and the entire assembly came near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded you to do, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. That phrase in verse 6, this is what the Lord has commanded you to do, that's, that's on repeat in these chapters, so seven times in chapter 8. Do just what the Lord commands you. And it gets repeated again here just before they're about to do it all. Do just what the Lord commanded you. My son uh, is nine now and uh, he's got a bike. And recently I took him on his first proper bike ride, which is a lovely moment as a parent. You know, it's, it's me and him going for a bike ride up Partnum Walk. And uh, it's nice. I said, like, I trust you. I think you're ready for this. But we are going on some streets in London. So we had this little pep talk beforehand. I said... Um, if I tell you to stop, you have to stop. You have to do exactly what I say when I say it. If I tell you to go now, I need you to go now because it means there might be something coming and you need to move out of the way. I think he understood something in my voice because he said, okay, Dad, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is not what I always get. <laughs> but um, there's something of that going on here. You know, you do exactly what the Lord commands you. Do you understand? And all the people go, yes, we, we understand, okay. We can tell this is important. So you get your first day of sacrifices and it reaches a climax. Chapter 9, verse 22. Aaron, the great, he's now the high priest, lifts his hands, blesses the people. And somebody tell me, what do they do at the start of chapter 9, verse 23? Moses and Aaron. They went, they went into the tent. See? That's really significant. Moses and Aaron. 
into the tent. Priesthood is, is going. We're up and running. <gasps> and we're not told what they did. There's sort of uh, literally a veil over it, but um, presumably they were communing with God. When they come out, verse 24, fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering in the fat portions on the altar. So it's like this giant blowtorch comes out of the tent. But, but it's good. It's a sign that I've, I've accepted the offerings. You did just as I commanded you. I'm going to burn it up completely as a sign that, that I've accepted your fellowship. And no wonder at the end of chapter 9, the people shouted for joy and fell face down. So look, that could be it. I mean, that could be it for the rest of the Bible. Great. I'm so, this is the closest to Eden that we've been since Genesis 3. This is fantastic. We've finally cracked it. We've got priests. This is something that can run and run because it doesn't just depend on Moses anymore. Hallelujah. Except chapter 10, there's this big mistake. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them and added incense and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord contrary to his command. So these guys, Nadab, Abihu, they are uh, Aaron's eldest sons and they were part of the dynasty. I mean, from now on, they were going to be the sons of the high priest and one of them would probably be the high priest one day and they'd received all the instructions. They'd received the instruction, do just as I've commanded you and... Is day one. I mean, it just it seems to be still day number one of all these inaugural sacrifices. And we're not told exactly what went wrong, but we are told they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. So they would have had a censer, which is something like this. This is an incense censer. And so you put your nice smelling incense in it and you set fire to it. And I'm not an expert with these. Uh, but they would have been swinging it around and through the holes comes the incense. And uh, the, the Israelites have been commanded to do that twice a day, morning and evening. And it seems like they made some stuff up. Let's go in there. We're the priests now. We can do this. And maybe they went in at an alternative time to offer some extra incense. There's also just a whiff of, <laughs> forgive the pun, <laughs> um, of drunkenness. Because later on in chapter 10, we're, the, the Lord says particularly to Aaron, he never speaks to Aaron directly anywhere else, but here he suddenly says, don't let your sons come in when they've drunk alcohol. And it's not explained, but um, I, for, for my money, my best guess is they went in at the wrong time and they had been drinking alcohol. So you can appreciate why uh, verse 2 happens. This, this, you get another bit of fire, another flamethrower comes out from the Lord and it consumes them. They, they die. My brother's an airline pilot and... Um, they are very strict. Airline pilots, you do not touch alcohol within eight hours of flying a plane for obvious reasons. Uh, they call it the bottle to throttle rule. So no way. You, you, your, your career is done if you do that. And you would have thought for a priest, an Old Testament priest who is mediating the presence of God to the people, they, they might have taken that seriously. But they die. So it's a big mistake. And we're still on day one. You see how, I mean, this is like the leg break in the football match. Oh, no, we, we didn't come to do that. Not only that, but they've also, um, you've got a problem because you've got dead bodies in the sanctuary. And as we'll see next week, that's a massive problem of ritual uncleanness. So that is why Moses has to find somebody who's in the family, but not actually in the priesthood. So he gets, gets um, 
the, what is it, the kid's uncle's kids, and he, they have to come and carry the priests in their full resplendent tunic outside the camp. So huge problem that they're suddenly having to deal with. Moses, who's the brother of Aaron, I think he probably said verse three, ten, chapter 10, verse 3, quite quietly. This is what the Lord spoke of, brother, when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. Remember we said Leviticus was a book about holiness? So I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. And Aaron remained silent. I think, I mean, that is a, that is a profound sentence. Aaron remained silent. I think he remained silent because he's just lost his oldest two sons and yet he knows they were supposed to do everything the Lord commanded and they didn't so look do you get the idea Aaron and his sons were priests you, you need a reverent priest if you're going to approach God they have to be meticulous they have to be reverent it's quite, you know, these days we talk about the rev uh, when we talk about priests we'll, we'll get to that in a minute but the, the rev that's a, that's a good Adjective. The priest is supposed to be reverent, not maverick. One reason people sometimes struggle with Christianity today is because I wonder if lots of the reverence is drained out of it, or the holiness, or the weightiness. Literally, when it says uh, honor in verse chapter ten, verse three, the, the Hebrew word is it's literally weight, heaviness. So I will be proved weighty and honored amongst the people. And when, when I had a colleague here last year, Dex, who was, who was doing some maternity cover for us, he was on a personal crusade to recover the word awesome for English use. He felt it was being a little bit overused. Ah, I have a can of Coke. Awesome. You know, my football team uh, won today. Awesome. Well, he would say, it's, it's not actually awesome. Awesome is God. You know, awesome is things that are absolutely magnificent. Sarah and I have occasionally counseled people who were living, calling themselves Christians, but not living that way, and uh, unrepentant, and they didn't care. And the, the line that we've tended to find wakes them up a little bit is, God cannot be mocked. Or you could say, God is holy, you know. He, he, he won't just put up with whatever on planet Earth. You can't just flout his holiness. He will be proved holy. So, Aaron and his sons were priests. You need a reverent priest. Second thing, I'm going to do this a bit quicker, but please pay attention because this is the best bit. Jesus is the greater priest. This is, of course, why all this ancient priestly reverence stuff is so important because Jesus is described as a priest in the New Testament. And not just any priest, but a high priest. He is amazing. If you do have a Bible, please would you turn with me. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, page 1206. Hebrews 7, verse 23. Now, there would be many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Just, just pause there. 
There's a blank on your sermon sheet, if, if you would like to. The answer there is, why is Jesus' priesthood better? Because firstly, it's permanent. He, he has a permanent priesthood. He lives forever. There's no risk of him expiring or having to retire. There's no risk that he's lost your case notes. He has a permanent priesthood. He's wonderful. Aaron was about 80 when he was consecrated in Leviticus. Nadab and Abihu didn't make it past day one. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have someone who's around forever, who can save us completely all the way through to death? Ah, Jesus. So that's the first blank. It's permanent. And let's read on. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. So the second reason Jesus' priesthood is better is because it's, it's, he's pure. It is pure. He never sinned. He never did the thing with the golden calf. He never un- offered the unauthorized fire or tinkered with God's commandments. He's completely pure. So he didn't need a sin offering for himself. Isn't that amazing? There would be generations and generations of priests still to come after Aaron and his sons who meticulously had to offer first for their own sins, then for the sins of the people. But Jesus never had to do that because he never sinned. Get what the Bible story was always building towards? I mean, like we, we said it was a bit like Karate Kid, didn't we? Just these categories are being put in place and they're building and building and building and then Jesus comes along and he's like the main character. He's a permanent, pure, high priest. And today, you need a priest. You have to have a priest if you want to approach God. But if you're a Christian, you absolutely have one. He's called Jesus Christ. Don't go getting anybody else. You have him. And that is amazing as well because God hasn't slackened off in his holiness one degree. I mean, don't go thinking that he is any less holy. He is exactly the same pure, moral, blazing holiness as before, but he's offered us Jesus as the way of approaching him. So Jesus is the greater priest. Aaron and his sons were priests. Jesus is the greater priest. And uh, I said there'd be a surprise at the end. Ready for your surprise? Genuinely had to read this a few times this week to make sure I was teaching you the right thing. The surprise is that you are a priest. Go figure. I mean, who who knew? It it felt like we'd reached the climax, didn't it? Jesus is the great. Thank you very much. Good night. But you, my friends, that's what the Bible wants to say to you before it's done. Very clearly, 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a royal priesthood. Revelation 1 verse 6, he is building us into a priesthood together. So every Christian, if you belong to Jesus Christ, I'm not kidding you. You are a priest. Think of this a bit, a bit like the, the privilege is amazing, but um, if you've ever been picked for a sports team or picked to be in a production of some sort or given a role in a job where you thought, what, me? You want, you want me to do that? Uh, that's, really? That's amazing. It's something of that feeling here, isn't it? Really, God? You want me to be a, a priest? You want me to mediate between God and people? Well, yeah, he does. When I, when I uh, arrived here at St. Paul's, um, there was this beautiful cross stitch in the vestry just downstairs under my feet, and um, I thought, that's a lovely bit of art. Someone spent a lot of time on that, and it says, a priest. So can I read this to you? This is, this is about the life of a priest. 
I don't know who did it, but um, they were obviously very good at cross-stitch. A priest, to live in the world, beg your pardon, to live in the midst of the world without wishing its pleasures, to be a member of each family yet belonging to none, to share all sufferings, to penetrate all secrets, to heal all wounds, to go from people to God and offer him their prayers, to return from God to people, to bring pardon and hope, to have a heart of fire for charity, to teach and to pardon, to console and bless always. My God, what a life. And it's yours, a priest of Jesus Christ. I like it. I've got no problem with it, as long as it applies to all of us. So I I no longer keep it in the vestry as if it's the preserve of the clergy, because I think it's a brilliant summary for every Christian. So for all of you, this is your life, particularly when it says, you know, to, to go from people to God and offer him their prayers and to return from God to people to bring pardon and hope. I mean, that's the, that's the mediator thing. That's, that's what we've been saying. And it is you, if you're a Christian, you are a priest of God. What does that mean? Well, let me close with a few practical ideas. You know when... You know when you have the chance to pray for somebody. You might say, can I pray for you? Or they're sharing something and you say, I'd love to pray for you. That's priestly. You take their everyday concerns and you take them to God because of your privileged access through Jesus Christ. Priestly ministry. What else? When you come to a prayer meeting, like we have a couple of this week, that's priestly. You're exercising your right, Lord, I have the right to speak to you through Jesus Christ, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to come before you. When you pray and you use a phrase like, in Jesus' name, that's a priestly phrase. You don't have to say it. It's not like abracadabra, but it does, it does recognize this, Lord, this is the reason I'm exercising this priestly role, how I can even be here talking to you. It's because of Jesus, my high priest. When you evangelize and you talk to people about what's going to happen, do you know what's going to happen when you die? Because you're going you're to meet God one day and he's really holy. You're being a priest. You're just encouraging them to think about how they need a mediator, Jesus. Or when you're just meticulous in theology. You know, some of you, I see this great appetite for theology and you just want to learn. You love the Bible, you want to devour it. That's a priestly thing because they were meticulous. We have to do everything as God commanded. If that is you, by the way, just go and read Hebrews. You will absolutely love Hebrews if you've got your teeth into Leviticus. But you have to have a priest first. You have have to have Jesus as your priest. Let's pray. I'll leave a moment's quiet. Maybe there is something on your heart. Maybe you've realized something today. Maybe you're amazed at the, but the holiness, but also the, the, the privilege of being handed the priestly office. So why not talk to God silently about that for a moment? Lord God Almighty, how, how can we possibly approach you? We, we can't unless you've invited us through Jesus Christ, our great high priest, Lord, I pray that like those Israelites, we would tremble because of your holiness. But like those priests, we'd be amazed, overwhelmed at being beckoned, called into your service, consecrated and set apart as holy. And please would you raise up lots of priestly ministry for us to do together.